Okay, well, our sermon this morning is in Genesis, Genesis chapter 17. We're going to resume the story of Abram. The title of the sermon is Secure in God's Covenant, which will make more sense as we go. Really, my aim this morning, I think the aim of the passage is to strengthen your faith in God's covenant faithfulness. So when we say covenant, what we mean is uh, that's how God has chosen to relate to his people. He relates to his people by covenant, which means a, a relationship based on promises and commitment. So his relationship with us is more like a marriage than it is like cohabitating. You know, in cohabitation, a couple moves in together and there's no real commitment beyond perhaps if they share the expenses of the house and just a verbal commitment of affection. We like each other. We love each other. Uh, but in reality, there's no reason one of those couples couldn't just say this isn't or one of those people in the couple couldn't say this isn't really working for me anymore. So I'm going to I'm going to move out in a marriage. Theoretically, the way it's designed biblically, you enter into a lifelong commitment and you make vows before God and witnesses that you're going to be together forever. And so that your relationship now is based. Sure, there's affection. Sure, there's love. But more than that, undergirding all that is just a firm commitment that I am going to love you as your husband or your wife. Period. That's my commitment to you. And under that commitment, the relationship can flourish and grow and thrive. That's how God designed it. That's how he relates to his people, by covenant, by firm commitment based on promises. So it's not just so long as he feels good about us, he'll be our God and we can be his people. He's just made that commitment, period. He has made a covenant with Abram, and that's what we're going to see here, but it has implications for how we understand our relationship with God now as well. And I think this will be really strengthening to you because there's a lot of security to be found in our relationship with God when we remember that it's based on a covenant. We are secure in his covenant. When God makes a covenant, he is faithful to it. He never, uh, he, he's, he always holds up his end of his covenants so we can be secure. So my plan is just to tell the story of Abram in Genesis chapter 17, 1 through 8, and kind of explain where you fit in, where we fit into all this, and send you away into the rest of your Sunday and this week secure in God's covenant faithfulness. So first, the story. Genesis chapter 17, uh, the opening scene is God appearing to Abram. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. So this is a, a visual term here. He appeared to Abram in some visual way. There's no further explanation given. And in a minute, we're here that it not only involves Abram's eyes, but also his ears. God has a message for him. But notice also that Abram is 99 years old when the Lord appears to him. This is 13 years after the last episode, what we read last week when Ishmael was born. So just keep that in mind, and we'll return to that in a little bit. But as the story moves on, the Lord speaks to Abram. Genesis 17, starting at the, the second part of verse 1. Actually, I'll just start at the beginning of verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, 
I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. So the Lord reminds Abram of who he is. He is God Almighty. That's El Shaddai, if you've ever heard that, the all-sufficient, all-powerful God. So God reminds Abram, that's who I am. I am God Almighty. And he reminds Abram of his expectations of Abram's behavior. Abram, I want you to walk before me. In other words, with nothing to hide, uh, fully open before me and be blameless, which actually it, it has the idea of being sinless kind of baked into it. But it's the Hebrew idea is more about integrity. Be wholehearted and single-mindedly mine. Like this is an all-consuming relationship God is calling Abram into. And it's based first on God's character as being almighty. But then the proper response from Abram is to walk fully in front of God, wholeheartedly, not hiding anything, not compartmentalizing things. This is an all-consuming relationship, not a side hobby for Abram. This isn't just another app on his phone that he can queue up when he wants to. I have an app on my phone that's supposed to do um, brain training games. It's supposed to help me with my memory, and I think I've only pulled it up once. And for some people, that's the way their relationship with God is. It's just another app on their phone in their life, and they can pull it up if they need to. But most of the time, it, it stays far away. That's not what God was setting up with Abram. I am God Almighty, and I want you to walk before me and be blameless. And then he reaffirms his covenant with Abram. But before he gets into the details of that, we see Abram respond at the beginning of verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face. This is just utter humility. This is often the response when people encounter God throughout the Bible. It hasn't always been Abram's response. Back in chapter 15, they have more of a back-and-forth conversation about the covenant. But here, maybe he's been humbled in these 13 years since the last episode. Maybe his mistakes and the complication he's been dealing with have humbled him. For whatever reason, he's way more humble now when God appears and speaks to him. He just falls to his face. And so as far as we know, the whole rest of the interaction, Abram's just laying face down on the ground in complete humility. So let's read on and hear what God says to Abram. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So if you've been confused while we keep referring to him as Abram, and you're used to hearing him called Abraham, this is the change here. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And what he's doing is doubling down on his covenant promises to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. So it has the idea of fatherhood built in. And you know, he hasn't had any biological children with his wife, Sarai, up to this point. Uh, the, the promise has not yet been fulfilled at all, but his name has meant exalted father. Now, his name means father of a multitude. So he's doubling down on this promise for offspring. He hasn't given up. He hasn't forgotten Abram or Abraham now. 
he is absolutely going to give him this promised offspring. It's going to lead to all these other promises. And then he goes on in the rest of our passage to restate the rest of his promises and actually expand them and build on them. Let's read starting at verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And that's where we'll stop for our reading today. We're not going to go further than that. So as our story ends, even though Abram made a mistake 13 years ago with Hagar, what we studied last week, they panicked. Uh, Sarai initiated a sort of panic plan. It doesn't look like God's going to come through. We're getting too old to have a child the way God promised. So let's make a plan B with Hagar. They went ahead and did that, and it led to a great deal of complication, as we saw last week. So for 13 years, at least, that's the the last thing we have recorded in the history of Abram and God's relationship. And here God speaks to Abram, Abraham now, and he doesn't say, you know what, forget it. You guys, you you don't trust me enough. We're not going to go through with this. Covenant's off. Uh, I'm going to go find somebody else. And he doesn't just reaffirm the covenant promises that he had already made. He expands. He makes them even better, even greater. So Abraham knew that God had promised to make him great. Now God says, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful, like overly abounding in fruitfulness. Abraham knew that God was going to make him into a great nation. Now God adds to that, you will be made into nations, plural, and kings are going to come from you. Royalty will be born from your lineage. Abraham knew that he was in a covenant relationship with God. Now God explains that this covenant is going to be transferred to all of Abraham's offspring throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It's, the covenant is not going to end. It's not till death do we part in this case. When Abraham dies, the covenant is going to live on through all of Abraham's offspring. Abraham knew that the promises of this covenant involved a place, the promised land. Now God says this is going to be, you'll have an everlasting possession. Abraham knew the Lord personally. Now God's promising that I will be the God to all of these offspring that I'm promising you. They're going to be my special people. I'll be their God. So when we conclude our story here with Abram, We see the relationship fully intact and God firmly committed to carrying out his covenant promises uh, abundantly beyond even what Abraham might have expected leading up to this passage. So where do we fit in to all of this now? When you read the New Testament, the history of Abraham is not irrelevant ancient stuff that's just trivia or something to be rehearsed and taught to the younger generations, but has no practical meaning. This is really prominent in the New Testament. Abraham and this covenant is a major theme. The Jews still consider themselves sons of Abraham during Jesus' time. Jesus 
refers to himself and others see him because he is a Jew, as a son of Abraham. God continues to call himself the God of Abraham as we get into the Gospels and the New Testament. His promises to Abraham remain a really prominent theme. Uh, For one example, you can see in the Gospels where Jesus argues with Jewish religious leaders over who truly is a son of Abraham. They think they are because they were born into that lineage biologically. And Jesus argues that people who trust in God are more legitimately sons of Abraham than they are. And then in the epistles, we get a lot of explanation about what all this means for us today. Ultimately, it isn't the biological offspring that inherit this covenant relationship with God. It's those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is how Gentiles, non-Jewish people like me and most and you, most of you guys, get justified and are welcomed into a relationship with God. We are the fulfillment of the promise of a blessing to all nations through Abraham. So the new covenant that we talk about in the New Testament is the, the fulfillment of all these promises made to Abraham in the old covenant. Jesus perfectly lives up to the human side of the covenant equation where Abraham and all of Israel throughout history and we as Christians fail to live up to our end, Jesus fully lives up to the human side of the covenant equation for us. He perfectly walked before God and he was perfectly blameless. And he, as our covenant representative, perfectly keeps that covenant with God. We trust in Jesus as our covenant representative and receive the benefits of God's covenant covenant faithfulness. That's why we can be so secure in God's promises. It doesn't depend on our performance. It, it depends on Jesus's. So I can tell, as I'm saying that, I feel like it's confusing. But I'll tell you one place where this has been a factor in my own life. I've told you before I worked with a group of Christians that came from a different denomination and some different doctrines from me back after high school. And they held the belief that one could lose their salvation. In fact, they held the belief that people lost their salvation at multiple points throughout every day. The way they saw it, so long as you were obeying God's commands, you were under the umbrella of his saving protection. So it's like being under an umbrella in a rainstorm. So long as you're under that umbrella, you're safe and dry. So long as you're being obedient to God's commands, You're in the covenant. You have his love, his forgiveness. But when you disobey, it's as if you step out from under the umbrella and you're drenched. And for that moment, while you are sinning, you are not under his protection anymore. And so if Jesus returned in that moment while you were sinning or before you could ask for forgiveness and get back under the umbrella, you would be damned. You would not be saved. That's what they believed. Now, This teaching here teaches against that. We are in a covenant relationship with God in the new covenant based on our faith in Jesus Christ. He is our perfect covenant representative. So our relationship with God is 100% secure. And it doesn't change when we make a mistake or when we sin. That whole umbrella idea is completely false and it's not biblical. Jesus... His protection is perfectly and permanently over us in this covenant. If you are trusting in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, 
you are 100% secure in your relationship with God. There's great security that comes from this. And then Abraham is presented throughout the New Testament as an example for us of how to live based on a faith-based relationship with God rather than works. You'll see repeated often, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's a really important statement throughout the Bible. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He demonstrates that we receive God's covenant blessings, including salvation from our sins, based on faith and not works. And we are to walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had. So here's where we land this morning and where I hope to send you away feeling very secure in God's covenant faithfulness. If you are a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, to be reconciled to a holy God, and are following Him as your Lord, you are 100% secure in your relationship with God. We can walk in the footsteps of faith that Abraham had. We can remember that He is God Almighty, just like He introduced Himself to Abraham in our passage. There is nothing He cannot do. There's no promise that he has made that it turns out he can't fulfill. Sometimes I, as a father, will make a promise that I can't come through on after all, like I thought I could. Sometimes there's information I didn't know when I made the promise that I find out later that I realize, oh no, there's a schedule conflict or something like that. God isn't that way. He knows everything. He has never made a promise that he cannot fulfill. And he is our God in Jesus Christ, which is awesome. We can trust him to come through on his promises, even if it seems like it's taking too long and maybe he's forgotten us or maybe he's not going to come through on his promises after all. Remember here when we started our story, it had been 13 years. That's a long time. It's not a long time in the span of all human history. So when we read that in Genesis, it doesn't maybe seem like a big deal at first. But in the span of a human life, that's a long time. 13 years ago was 2008. Think of all that has happened since 2008 in your life. What if you, and some of you perhaps have been waiting all that time for God to come through on some promise? You can see why God's people might be tempted to think maybe he's not going to come through. But he always comes through on his promises, even if his timing doesn't match up with what we would expect. I mean, 13 years ago, that's pretty much my children's entire lifespans. Uh, That's greater than the amount of time I've been your pastor uh, that, that was way back when we were just coming out of the Great Recession that we had back then. That was a long time ago. Sometimes faith in God just looks like waiting. I mean, for those 13 years, we don't know what went on in Abram's life. Uh, I would just assume, reading between the lines, that he still had his relationship with God intact, that he was still uh, faithful, living in relationship with God, trying to be a good husband, father, good steward of his resources. Mainly, he was just waiting on the Lord. And perhaps right now, that's what you're doing. You're just waiting. And maybe that doesn't feel like quite enough because we live in a microwave age where we're used to things happening fast and we're used to getting things done. But it might just be that God wants you to wait. I was looking through the Psalms. I printed out a list of how frequently in the Psalms God's people 
wait on him. I'm just going to read a couple of them. I won't read all of these. Psalm 25.3 says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. A couple verses later, it says, For I wait all the day long. And then it says, May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Psalm 27.14, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 37.7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37.9, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. 37.34, wait for the Lord and keep his way. And so on. There's just tons in the Psalms, which is our sort of hymn book as God's people, about waiting for the Lord. That's a pretty prominent part of the Christian life. And if you've been waiting for the Lord for 13 years, longer, you've been praying for a loved one to be saved or some other thing, or some, you've been waiting on something that you know is good, you can't understand why it wouldn't be God's will to give you the, the answer to your prayer now, please trust in Him and wait for Him. He is all-powerful and almighty. And I read, again, this is kind of cliche, but you've probably seen on Facebook or you've heard it said before, God always answers our prayers with exactly what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. We have to trust in his timing and that he knows what he's doing. We can trust in his covenant faithfulness even if we have made mistakes and we are living amidst the complications of our own sin or folly, just like Abram was with the results of their plan B attempt to have an heir through Hagar. You and I are still going to sin from time to time, hopefully less as we grow more mature in Christ. But don't think that that nullifies God's covenant promises and his faithfulness to you. He is not faithful to you only when you are perfect. He is faithful to you, period, because you are in a covenant relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So no matter how bad you have messed up, you can trust in God's faithfulness to you. And he has made some really good promises to us. Uh, the main phrase in our passage in that last stretch when we read everything God said to Abram was, I will. He just, every sentence, I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this. His relationship with his people through his covenants is really mainly one directional. He accomplishes everything. He has made us so many good promises in the new covenant that we can bank on and we can hang on to and take as facts. So I've got a, a short list of them here. These are all from the New Testament. These are promises that you as a Christian can hang on to. God has said that he will save all who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. That's Romans 1, 16 through 17. He will give eternal life to those who trust in Jesus. That's John 4, 14. He will supply your needs, Matthew 6, 26. He will give rest to the heavy burdened who come to him, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He will provide a way out of temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He will comfort his children in their trials, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. He will give wisdom to those who ask him for it, James 1, 5. 
He will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28. He will finish the good work he has begun in us. That's Philippians 1, 6. He will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. And Jesus will come back again one day. That's Luke 12, 40. And then 2 Corinthians 1, 20 just says, and I think this is a good note to end on, all of God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ. So his promises hold firm, not because of our performance, but because of Jesus's. Jesus as a representative in this covenant, it's just completely secure. You can 100% bank on God's promises toward you. So if you're a Christian, you're secure in God's covenant. Almighty God is our God. We get to be his people and we can live in that security, trusting in him together. And that's the note I want to end on for this morning. So I'd like to just pray for God to seal this into our hearts. And then I'll look back through the comments and just see if there's anything that would make sense for me to respond to. And then that'll be it for us this morning. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your covenant faithfulness. You demonstrated it in your relationship with Abraham and we get to live in light of it through Jesus Christ now today. Just pray for your people who are receiving this, this scripture this morning that they would rest secure in your covenant faithfulness the rest of today, this week, and for the whole rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.